You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yes, sir. Welcome to your Monday. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez here. Hope you had a great weekend. I know I did. We'll dive into that. We'll dive into a lot of things today. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a wild weekend. A lot going on, on in every spectrum of the sports universe. So we'll get into that today. We got two hours to break it all down, and that's exactly what we intend to do. Producer extraordinaire slash the co-host with the most slash my bully, Mr. James Mesh. Good afternoon, Mr. Mesh. Why you got to paint me in that picture? I mean, you you painted yourself in that <laughs> picture, sir. <laughs> you. You did this to yourself. Oh, yeah. You you did. Or your 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 lack of helping yourself. Well, if you don't know what we're talking about, Matt doesn't know how to ride a bike. He just at, came at, right out and at said 20, it. At 24 years old. He just came right out and said it. At least I didn't play the song. Okay. So <laughs> even further context than that, our guy Ross Jackson shared a, a tweet about Aaron Donald's insane career accomplishments at the age of 31. And Ross said, meanwhile, I'm 32 and I can't swim. So we were talking about that tweet, and I passed the comment that I don't know how to ride a bike because I don't. Never did as a kid. I never I never rode a bike. I mean, I was never huge on bikes either, but I, I still know how to ride one. And so I just, you know... I had better things to do when I was a child than ride a bike. I mean, it's true. I'd... Anyways, um, <laughs> just... and so, so yeah. To to this day, I, I don't know how to ride a bike. So there's your there's your Matt Miguez truth fact of the day, James. Uh, what what do you not know how to do in, at this day and age? Uh, there's got to be something. File my taxes. I don't. You don't know how to file your taxes. I haven't done it myself yet, no. Oh, buddy. <laughs> oh, buddy. It's time you adult. Aren't you 21? 22. 22? Yeah. Oh, you still got a little bit of time. That's what I'm saying. You still, you're still a kid. It's not like I'm this age and I still haven't learned what most people learn to do at like between age four to six. Okay. <laughs> Seeing my bully. <laughs> Anyways. Why you bully me? <laughs> You can ask yourself that question. Anyways, moving on. Today on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, we're going to dissect a weekend of the NBA playoffs, a lot of college baseball and softball. We're going to talk the PGA Championship. How about Justin Thomas starting the final round seven strokes back and winning the PGA Championship? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about some NFL news. With OTAs beginning tomorrow, there's there's some not surprising yet interesting absences that are going to be taking place at OTAs tomorrow. So uh, we'll we'll get into that. We've also got all SEC teams and all Sun Belt teams 
to dive into. So we'll talk about that as well. Hotline open 706-0111. If you want to get in on the show and here in Acadiana, you can watch the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Our poll question of the day, what was your favorite part of the weekend? Was it JT winning the PGA Championship? Was it the Preakness Stakes? Epicenter finishes second again as the favorite. College baseball slash college softball? Or was it something else? Tell us in the comments, Facebook and Twitter at the game Louisiana. James, what was your favorite part of the weekend? Uh, man, man, what would you do this weekend? First of all, I don't even remember what I did Friday. I think I just went to bed. Saturday, uh, went to friend's house. We went. We watched the NBA, the the Pel- the Celtics game. Yeah, that. Uh, not going back to his house. Right. <laughs> no, yeah, that, that was that was bad luck. Not going to his house. Tatum was, had like a top five worst performance of his life. That was that was bad luck for sure. Um, aren't you forgetting a, a detail about your Saturday? Oh, shout out yeah. little sister. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that is true. I I had taken a nap before before I went to go watch the game, but my sister did graduate high school. Yeah, shout out little sis. Yeah, sure. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, sure." Oh man, that, that's so. There's so much. I feel the love. I feel the love radiating from you to your little sister. Yeah, it's been off and on. <laughs> oh my God. Anyways, she's gotten better about it though. Um, I finally went play top golf. I've only been talking about it for two weeks. Uh, finally went and do that on Saturday. That was fun. Uh, didn't win a single game. How many did you play? Three. My fiance won every time. I swear she so so she's so, so this, lucky. So at this point, it's Caitlin and Justin Thomas. Yeah. Okay. I just, just want to make sure she she got so lucky because <laughs> the way it would work is like she would hit the ball and then it would bounce like on the outer edge of the little target uh-huh. and then roll into the one behind it and so she would get like double the points because it rolled farther back like she got so lucky and meanwhile i'm tattooing drives to the back corner where there's no target well that's just your fault and you're you're just hitting for power you're not hitting for a specific target and it it was a long day it was a long day um and then i went to the yard that new milkshake bar that they built in Baton Rouge. Um, that was diabetes. That thing was like 2,000 calories. I felt like I got type 1 just looking at the picture. That that thing was wow. Was that a brownie? Yeah, it was. Okay, That brownie was so good. <laughs> God, saw, it was so good. I saw a brownie just about it the was, size of the cup. It was called the Peanut Butter Brownie Bliss. Mm. That was good. That was good. A great weekend. Um, and then, of course... You know, got to watch some great sports. I mean, UL softball playing in the Clemson Regional, LSU softball in the Tempe Regional, baseball getting two out of three in Evanston, Illinois, Cajun baseball getting two out of three over Little Rock, LSU sweeping Vandy, and not just sweeping them, beating them. Thursday night was what, 13 to two? Yes. Friday was eight to three. And then yeah. Saturday was twenty-one to ten. 
wow. It's actually really funny. Saturday, I went to have lunch, and the LSU game, I was in Baton Rouge, so the LSU game was on. And when I left the restaurant, Vandy had just hit a home run to go up 6 nothing. And I was like, okay, well, maybe LSU's not going to win today. Boy, was I wrong. The second I moved away from the TV, they exploded. So maybe me watching them was a was a bad luck thing because they exploded the second I stopped watching the game. You're just a bad luck charm. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know why you do this to the teams. I don't know why either. I don't know why either. I wish I knew. Um, it's like my mom. She always goes in the other room. She's like, how are they doing? So it's like, oh, we're a winner or whatever. She's yeah. like, okay, cool. And she'll just stay in the other room. <laughs> she'll just stay. She'll stay in the other room, and watch TV. Oh man. Um. Well, let's go ahead and talk some OTA news. Uh, oh, you want to do that now? Yeah. What'd you What'd you find out about um, Debo Samuel and Baker Mayfield? So, no surprise, but both Debo and Baker are not going to be participating in their team's OTAs. Yeah, that's that's not surprising. Um, man, do do you think Baker's gonna play this season? I feel like, I mean, I don't wish this upon anyone, but I feel like some quarterback's gonna get injured, and then you're gonna be like, well, I really don't want this other guy starting. Uh, we'll take Baker. <laughs> we'll take him for a, for a fifth. Man, that. I'm interested to see how long it's going to take him to find a place to play. I mean, but the the at the same time, I, we keep hearing about Carolina. Yeah. Carolina keeps popping up as a team that's interested in Baker, which is interesting to me because now you would have the first and the third pick in the 2018 draft. Right. At the same position. And they're both on expiring deals. So it's like, really? Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It would make a lot more sense if Seattle maybe went to go get one. I know they traded for Drew Locke, but I'd rather Baker than Drew. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I'd I'd definitely rather um, Baker over, over Drew Locke. Now... Looking looking at some other national headlines, what about Nick Foles signing a deal with the Colts? Yeah, they were talking about that last week. They were like, it's it's probably going to happen. We just have to work out the, the uh, finer details of it all. That could be interesting. So now it's Matt Ryan, Nick Foles. Am I missing something? Do they still have Jacoby Brissett? I think they still do. Let me see. Um, in other news, the Washington Commanders announced today that they have purchased a piece of land in Virginia for a hundred million dollars. They hope to build its two hundred acres. They hope to build a new stadium as well as numerous retail shops, restaurants, and apartments. So we'll see what happens. Uh, there's a chance that the franchise will buy another 65 to 70 acres at a site that is approximately 23 miles from Washington, D.C., and that could be their um, maybe their practice facility or something like that. Intriguing. 
Are but, you a big fan of Hard Knocks? I am a big fan of Hard Knocks. Okay. Well, the Arizona Cardinals will be this year's. Really? Yeah. Huh. Which to me tells me that Cardinals are going to go four eight, and twelve, eight and nine. Yeah, at best. Right. Because um, there's, it's it's like the Madden curse, right? Yeah, it's it's its own version. Yeah, because the second somebody was on the Madden cover, got hurt. Also, Brissett is not on the Colts. Where's he at? I don't know. I'm just oh. I'm looking at the Colts. QBs. Just not on their roster. Yeah, not okay. there. Uh, we'll dive into the NBA playoffs later. Your Celtics play tonight, mm-hmm. trying to make it two two. Tyler Hero's out tonight for Game Four for Miami. Last I checked, Robert Williams and Al Horford were both questionable. With Jason Tatum as probable. Let's see. I can tell you, Marcus Smart's day to day. Robert Williams day to day. Jason Tatum day to day. Sam Hauser is out. Uh, I'll be honest. Sam Hauser was not a big difference maker because <laughs> Ernie doesn't get on the court. But right. yeah. And then for the Heat, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, and P.J. Tucker all listed as day-to-day. Yeah, there's a lot of there's – there's been a lot of notable injuries so far that series. People are beat up, bro. It's time for the season to end is what they're saying because – Can we it, get this over with? Yeah, you, you're at that point of the year where everybody's hurt. You, your body's just done. I mean, at this point, both of these teams have played what ninety games, eighty-two in the regular season. Plus, you know, they played almost a hundred. Yeah, somewhere in the ninety to a hundred range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your, your body's done by this point. Your body's ready to pack it up and go home for three months to do it all over again. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that the injury reports are, are becoming a novel. Let's take a time out right here. When we return to crunch time with me, guys and mesh, we'll talk some Cajuns baseball, taking two out of three from Arkansas, Little Rock over the weekend and getting ready for the Sunbelt conference tournament in Montgomery, Alabama. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, and it is Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Red Hot Houston Astros begin a three-game series with the Cleveland Guardian tonight. You can listen to all the action right here on the game. First pitch set for 7-10. Once again, Guardians at Astros baseball live from the juice box tonight right here on the game. I got to get used to saying Cleveland Guardians. Yeah, it is still taking hold. It's weird. I, I don't say the other one anymore, the old name, but... My mind automatically went to Cavaliers. Right. <laughs> yes. And then, and then it, I was it, like, it's no, the no, same no, thing. that's a completely wrong sport. <laughs> it, it, it's the same thing with Washington. You know, like if I get in, if I get deep into NFL conversation. Oh, I have no problem with like automatically remembering. Oh, it's the Commanders, not. You see, I still, I still struggle with it sometimes. I, I don't st- know. I, I guess st- it was just an easy transition for me to go to a football team to Commanders. I don't know. I don't know. I always I found it. I, I always thought having it be a 
foot have it be the football team for two years was stupid, but I don't right. know. It was easy to remember. Yep, no, that's true. That's true. Cajuns baseball closing out their regular season at home this past weekend. We talked about Thursday already, the two nothing defeat at the hands of Little Rock. Rebounded quite nicely on Friday. They were trailing four to one at one point, inched away at the lead in the fifth to make it four to three. And then in the bottom of the eighth, absolutely exploded. Heath Hood started a seven-run rally that resulted a little bit later on in the in the inning with a grand slam by Tyler Robertson to make it ten to four, and that would be all you saw out of Louisiana and Little Rock that night. Louisiana getting their ten runs on thirteen hits with one error. Little Rock getting four runs on eight hits with no errors. And then Saturday, it was more of the same. Nine to three at the Teague. Little Rock scoring two in the third and then one in the eighth. Louisiana, one in the first, one in the third, two in the seventh, and then five in the eighth. Something about the eighth inning and MLT more field. They just, it, it is comfortable for them, man. They just know how to do it. Here is... Seth Thibodeau on the mindset of the team this weekend. I think the toughest thing for a 21-year-old is to think about next week. And I think we've been doing that all week long. They've been focusing on the regionals. They've been focusing on stuff that they can't control. And it just, they they were in a funnel all week. And I think it's important for us, number one, I just don't think we should lose at home here. You know, once in a while here and there, but ultimately, we just got to win at home. There's a 700-plus winning percentage in the history of this program, so there's a pride thing. I think it's extremely important. Winning another series at home is extremely important. There's a couple arms. I'd like to see Jeff Wilson have a good outing tomorrow, but this offense is going to drive us, and so we've got to be able to swing it and run and go. And, and so it's, it's important for us to carry huge momentum into next week because you don't want to go over there uncertain. Friday night, Jacob Schultz having a big performance for Louisiana, he went four and a third with five hits, three runs. He struck out six. Uh, he did not get the win. Tommy Ray came in with three and a third innings of relief, two hits, no runs, struck out three. He was dealt the win. But Seth Thibodeau had something to say about his senior pitcher, Jacob Schultz. Unfortunately, we just wanted to throw him a couple of innings to, to save him a little bit. Uh, he did bounce back from it. He was making some good pitches. It was just awkward. We make an error in something we've never done. Overthrow third base over here and nobody's there to get it. We give up a cheap run and a balk. Just unorthodox stuff. Uh, but he's a senior. He's an older guy. He was able to rebound from that, start executing some pitches, keep it right there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. But I think that just came from, from our mindset all week long. I, I really do. And it's uh, but we were able to turn it around, tonight, which is a big deal. Yeah, the the frustrating details that Coach Thibodeau is referring to is at the beginning of the game, if I remember correctly, it was the first inning. There was runners on second and third, and Schultz got called for a balk. And it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. I mean, Seth Thibodeau, a pretty mild-mannered dude, came reeling out of the dugout wanting an explanation. It was it was a bad call. And then a little bit later, you know, runner going to third, 
They try to make a play over to the third baseman. Ball goes in the dugout, so you advance another base. They got another run in that way. Uh, so just little mistakes nearly cost the Cajuns, but the offense rebounded well. And it's interesting. If you watched the game, you noticed how it literally took one hit to spark that seven-run inning. And Carson Rockefort was asked about that, and uh, he, he called it a forest fire. For sure, for sure. It's like a, it's like a forest fire. Once, once somebody gets it going, it, it, it spreads from there. And up and down the lineup, you saw great at-bats in the late inning, so that was huge. Uh, cool. TR's uh, big blast as well. So now Louisiana will prepare for the Sunbelt Conference Championship in Montgomery, Alabama this week. The tournament will start tomorrow with ULM, Georgia State in a single elimination game, and then App State and Little Rock in a single elimination game. And then Wednesday, the double elimination bracket starts. Louisiana will play South Alabama at 4 p.m. Louisiana being the four seed, South Alabama being the five seed. The winner will go on to play the winner of Texas State and whoever they end up playing. The one seed and the two seed are to be determined by those single elimination games. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. You know, it's going to be interesting to watch Texas State, though, because obviously the Cajuns getting swept by Texas State last weekend. I did some research. Texas State hit 79 home runs this season. 60-plus came in their own ballpark which is is a smaller ballpark than most, and the wind is always blowing out. So they've got some added benefits on their side, right? So it'll be interesting to see how their game translates to Riverwalk Stadium, which is a bigger stadium, and the wind's usually blowing in more times than not. So they're not going to be able to rely on home run balls. They're going to have to play... Smash mouth, hard nosed baseball to get a championship. Can they do that enough to win enough games to get it done? We'll see. However, that style of baseball favors the Cajuns. So we'll see what happens there. Let's do this Downtown Rising trivia question of the day. Two tickets to Downtown Rising June 4th to see the Cold War kids. Here it is. I need somebody to call 706-0111 with the answer to who holds the Saints' single-season sack record. And yes, that is a trick question. There is two of them. Who holds the Saints' single-season sack record? There's a tie in the record books. I need both players. First person to call 706-0111 gets two free tickets to Downtown Rising on June the 4th. Cold War Kids, Julian Primo, Andy Frasco, the debtors. It's going to be a lot of fun at Park International on June the 4th for Downtown Rising. Rising. James, let's take a timeout. When we return, Wilson Alexander joins us as he does each and every Monday for Tiger Talk. You're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, 
It is Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. Hit high. Hammered to left field. Going back. Taking a look. Is Holcomb. And it's gone. Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals. With the advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Wilson Alexander of the Advocate. Wilson, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you this after this oh. rainy afternoon? Yeah, it's it's not pretty outside, but I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Let's dive into this LSU Vanderbilt series, and then I'll get your take on the All SEC teams that were announced about an hour ago. We'll start with Thursday's game, thirteen to two. You know, from from my vantage point, this looked like a game that that LSU really had from the beginning. It absolutely did. I mean, Mikhail Hilliard gave them uh, another quality start, which he just continues to do all year. Um, he, you know, worked five and a third innings, only allowed two runs. He had four strikeouts, just a so- really solid outing from him. And, but the offense, like, as it did all weekend, just started driving things right off the bat. I mean, Dylan Cruz, who I'm sure we're going to get to, was, you know, four for four, hit a through and homer. Uh, Kay Doty had uh, two home runs. Um, they just, you know, Put their foot on the gas right at the beginning and never let up. Yeah, you know, you you, t- you touched on Dylan Cruz hitting that three-run homer. He also had an RBI single later in the game. And then we get to Friday, the 8-3 game. And it, it's, it's actually funny because LSU picked up, and more importantly, Dylan Cruz picked up right where he left off. I mean, first pitch of the game, he sent it over the left center wall. Yeah, and then he hit the note the home run later. Um, it's been incredible to watch him because, I mean, you look at, he's got 21 home runs, and, you know, with those three over the weekend, and 16 of them have come in conference play. Um, he got them off to a great start in that game on Friday, but what was maybe particularly impressive was uh, Ty Floyd. I mean, just because he's been kind of up and down all year, he hasn't pitched a lot since conference play started. Obviously, he was kind of a good candidate to come in on the weekend. Um, but he ended up limiting Vanderbilt to one run on four hits and five and a third innings with seven strikeouts. Um, they've improved his breaking his off-speed stuff just enough to, so that hitters can't sit on the fastball, which is really unique because the way it rises. Um, and so they're a little bit later on that. Instead of hitting you know extra base hits, they're fouling pitches off, and then he's able to, to get ahead in the count. And so that was probably the biggest takeaway from that game. Yeah, and then you know going a little bit deeper, into the you, you talked about Ty Floyd, Paul Gervais showed up, you know, late in the game and and, and gave you a solid, you know, two thirds of an inning, but really, you know, got you exactly what you needed there. And then Saturday w- was an interesting game because if you look at it, at, after two innings, it was six nothing Vanderbilt, and then yeah, that's L- yeah, go ahead, sorry that that's when LSU kind of started to explode, you know, three in the third. They'd get one in the six, which Vandy would respond with two, and then three and one in the seventh, and then in the eighth, LSU just said, "Okay, we're tired of this. Let's go home," and <laughs> exploded for eleven in the eighth. Yeah, absolutely. It, it made me think of something that Jay said. I think it was right after the um, season opener, you know, all the way back in February, um, where LSU was kind of quiet early in the game and then put it on late um, to win the first game. And he said it basically along the lines of that's what our offense can be able to do where you might shut us down for a few innings, but it's going to be really hard to do it for a full nine. And that's kind of what happened in this game. I mean, to a, just an extreme extent, 
That also is, is prone to happen in the final game of a weekend series because usually the bullpen's a little bit taxed. But, I mean, LSU did this against, you know, Thomas Schultz, Vanderbilt's closer. Um, Vanderbilt brought him in to, to try to seal this thing, and LSU put up that um, 11 spot in the eighth inning uh, primarily against him. I mean, this lineup, when it is clicking on all cylinders, is we've said from the beginning of the year has the potential to be one of the best in the country, and it, and it was able to show why with that incredible kind of comeback. And, pro- and you have to also give props to the pitching staff because, of course, the thing got away a little bit early, um, but uh, some of those guys, you know, they've tried out a fair number of pitchers, and they were able to keep it close. Um, to like Bryce Collins, Riley Cooper, um, Blake Money did a good job, you know, keeping it within striking distance for the offense to come back and just overwhelm Vanderbilt. Yeah, no, no question about it. Chatting with Wilson Alexander here on Tiger Talk. Now... LSU finishes the regular season 37 and 18, 17 and 13 in the SEC. This week, obviously, the SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Wilson, what are your overall thoughts on on the tournament and especially the Tigers' chances in this tournament? Yeah, they've got a good shot. I mean, it always it's obvious, always helps to um, miss the single elimination round on Tuesday, just get to avoid any sort of. Um, you know, oddness to come in one game of a baseball game. I mean, that can be so, there's so many variables that can happen. It's great to be able to avoid that, um, and it's going to give them a chance to continue to bolster their uh, regional resume. You know, for, to try to grab one of those regional spots. There's a lot of teams fighting for maybe that 13 through 16 range. Now, LSU's got a good chance finishing fourth in the regular season in the SEC. Their RPI right now is 23. Um, last time that they hosted regional in 2019, they were also seven and 13 in the league, but they went to Hoover. And they won a few games to really strengthen their, their you know, their chance of doing that and end up getting to host. So um, it would be a really help, big help for them if they can win at least one, if not two, or maybe even three, you know, um, and, and play deep into the weekend to make sure that they're playing home games in Alex Box in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that that leads into my next question. What do you think the likelihood is that now with the sweep of Vanderbilt and and an impending solid performance in Hoover that they they host a regional? It's hard to say with absolute certainty um, because, you know, we don't know exactly what the, the committee is, is thinking. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny just because like a week ago, you know, we were talking about this and it seemed fairly unlikely just because it was, you know, it's rare to be able to go on the road and sweep. I mean, they had never swept Vanderbilt in Nashville. Um, and so it was like, okay, LSU's probably on the outside picture of this. So now they put, they've at least put themselves right back into the conversation by sweeping Vanderbilt. Um, hard to say with absolute certainty if they'd be able to host, but they would at least have a really strong argument if they can go into Hoover and win a couple games. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate is joining us. Wilson, let's let's stay in the here and now. Let's look at Wednesday night. LSU is going to have a matchup in Hoover between either Auburn or Kentucky. Either way, how do you think that matchup lines up for LSU? Yeah, the Auburn uh, series would be interesting. Um, LSU you know, has played Auburn this year. Um, and at home and lost two of three. But as Dylan Cruz said today, you know, they're a much different team than the last time these teams faced. So it'd actually be pretty kind of an interesting, uh, especially after those, uh, you know, all SEC awards came out today, where you'd have the two guys who shared co SEC player of the year um, uh, with the player from Auburn and then Dylan Cruz. And um, with Kentucky, it's a little bit harder to say they haven't, you know, played each other this year. Um, but Kentucky, you know, they took two or three against Tennessee. Um, so they're they're nothing they're not a total pushover either. Um, either matchup would be interesting, you know. In, in terms of pitching plans for that game, we don't exactly know what else he's going to do yet, which would obviously dictate a good bit of this. 
Um, Jay Johnson said they're going to keep that really close to the vest and not announce until the last minute, 90 minutes before first pitch. Yeah, and you know uh, that kind of leads into my next question. You talked about Jay Johnson's comments about the starting pitcher. What else did Jay Johnson have to say in, in today's media availability? Um, you know, a wide range of things. Uh, a lot of talk about Dylan Cruz um, with the kind of player that he is. Um, had some injury updates on, you know, LSU's dealing with that still with Jacob Berry's finger and Kay Doty's shoulder and Gavin Durant's hand and Alex Malazzo's knee. Um, a lot of that, they all sound like they're making progress off of those guys at sort of varying levels. Um, he wants to make sure that he has Jacob Berry available for the uh, NCAA tournament. So there sounds like, you know, maybe that he doesn't go in Hoover to try to be 100% um, when they, you know, are playing in a regional. Um, Kate Doty, you know, he might be able to get back, but it just kind of depends on how that shoulder feels. Um, he's, you know, it still had a sort of stabilizing, you know, sort of like a soft brace kind of thing on it um, after injuring that in the game uh, Saturday against Vanderbilt. And Gavin, the swelling on his hand continues to go down, but, it, you know, he still wasn't available over the weekend. And Malazzo, it sounds like he's still a little bit away. He was sore after catching an inning on Tuesday, but they, they're okay at catch right now with the way Tyler McManus is playing anyway and what Hayden Travinsky gives them off the bench too. Um, so they're trying to get healthy is kind of the main thing with this squad right now. Yeah, no, no doubt. SEC Baseball Awards came out today, Dylan Cruz being named the co-player of the year along with Sony Desharia from Auburn. You know, Dylan Cruz, obviously, you know, you talked about the 21 home runs. He's had a batting average over 350 for most of the season. Just talk about Dylan's performance throughout the year. I just, I always say this about Dylan. I never get tired of watching him hit. You know, every game, I, I just sort of sit up and pay a little bit more attention. Other than, you know, not for the other ones, but it just something about the way that the presence that he has when he comes to the plate. You know that that ball can he can launch one in a second. Even his ground ball outs. He's hitting like over 100 miles an hour sometimes, quite often, really, on his exit velocities. Um, it is so hard to get him out. You know, he said he made an adjustment about halfway through the year um, where he was just got his foot down a little bit earlier, allowed him to really control the zone better and, and ignore pitches um, where, when you know, they were trying to sort of trick him on something, you know, with like an off-speed pitch or something that was like right on the, you know, sort of cusp. He, he was able to see the ball so well. And that's really helped lead to this, what was outburst in, in conference play. I mean, we mentioned earlier 16 of his 21 home runs in conference. I know I already said that, but like it just that, that, that's rare. Like, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. And he's he's you know his slugging percentage is like 800. He's got 42 runs. I mean, he's ranks in like the top three in, in a lot of the major offensive categories. He's a pleasure to watch because he's so dynamic. I mean, we could talk about him alone for uh, the, the entire segment. Oh yeah, there's there's no question we could have we could have a whole show on, on Dylan Cruz. Um. He was also he also represented LSU on the first team All SEC second team. You had Jacob Berry on that squad. Nobody made the freshman team, which didn't really surprise me. Um, there haven't really there wasn't really like a a standout freshman for LSU this year. But uh, Dylan Cruz and Trey Morgan both making the All Defensive team. Are there any? players that maybe got snubbed off of these teams that, that you find should have been on there? Um, not necessarily, because, I mean, the SEC is so deep. Um, you look up and down these lists, and, um, you know, maybe you can make a, an argument for a couple guys, you know, here and there. Um, 
really the one thing I found maybe slightly surprising was just that Jacob Berry was second team on SEC just because he's been such a productive hitter. I mean, he's batting 400 in conference play, leads the, the, the league. Um, so I was a little bit maybe surprised to see that he wasn't a first team player because of how productive he's been offensively. But, you know, he, he his defensive, um, you know, game is while it has, I think, gotten better, is maybe not up to the level of the guy, you know, um, Trey Lipscomb from Tennessee, who made the first team All SEC team, so that you know that made sense. Um, really, there wasn't a ton of, of surprises out there from this because as deep as LSU's team is, you know, there, it's gotten a lot of different kind of contributions. Um, so it wasn't a, a shock to to see those three main guys uh, make it on one of the teams. Wilson Alexander of the Advocate has been our guest. Wilson, before you run, let everybody know where they can find your stuff on social media and with the Advocate. Yeah, sure thing. I'm on Twitter at WH Alexander underscore and then uh, theadvocate.com or NOLA.com. Uh, please like and subscribe, um, which I know everybody hears all the time. But as my girlfriend likes to say, then I can take her out to dinner, um, which we would appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no question about it. Wilson, really appreciate you taking the time, as always, my friend. And we'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks for having me on. You'll have a great rest of your week. Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk. Here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Next Home Cutting Edge Realty is holding their annual Luke Day on June 11th from 9 to 1. The charity event benefits Canine Companions, which is a nonprofit that gives to those with disability dogs. The event will be located at Boye Park Dog Park at 411 West Bluebird Drive here in Lafayette. A food truck and Kona Ice snow cone stand will be on site, plus music, treats, and prizes. All proceeds will be, do- be donated to Canine Companions. That's Next Home Cutting Edge Realty's Luke Day on June the 11th. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 50 minutes after 4 o'clock. The McNeese Cowboys and Cowgirls both had a pretty solid weekend. Uh, McNeese softball not quite ending the way that they would have hoped. They traveled up to Evanston, Illinois, and they played Notre Dame in game number one, erupted for 10 innings, 10 runs in the first inning, en route to an 11 to 1 five run mercy, five inning mercy rule. And then Saturday, they turned around, played the, t- the top seeded Northwestern Wildcats. That did not go well. 17 to 3 in five innings. Went down to the loser's bracket, played Notre Dame again, took them out 3 to 1. Then you got to Regional Sunday, and you ran into Northwestern again. 10-2 to two in five innings, but still a very admirable showing for Coach Landrino and the Cowgirls. I mean, anytime you can go up to a regional at the number 10 team in the country and compete against a name like Notre Dame, I mean, you beat Notre Dame twice. They were number 21 in the country. Like That's respectable. Sure, you, you couldn't get past Northwestern, but you were the four seed or the three seed. So, I mean, the, the, the fact that you were able to even do what you did was, was quite impressive. 
if you are if you're McNeese. So congrats to McNeese softball on a great season, Southland champs, and then McNeese baseball on the other side of it. They're just ready for a championship. They hosted the Southland tournament this past weekend, taking down Incarnate Word 12 to 6, taking down Nichols 8 to 4, and then taking down Incarnate Word yet again 7 to 2. So they will now move on to the championship series, which will once again be at Joe Miller Ballpark. They will play Southeastern Thursday at 6, Friday at 6, and then Saturday at 6. If necessary, it is a best of three series between the Lions and the Cowboys. Here is Coach Justin Hill on how it felt to be 2-0 and heading into the back half of the weekend. This is what we needed. I mean, and look, every team's got their own things, but I, I feel like after as long as we've been, I know our team about as well as I can know them, and I knew that was what we needed to do. Win or lose, I, I felt like that was the right call, and actually I talked to the coaches about it probably in the third inning, and I saw it kind of happen. And also Friday night with their win over Nichols, Justin Hill became McNeese's winningest baseball coach surpassing the late, great Louisiana legend Tony Robichaux. Here's Coach Hill on his thoughts on breaking Robichaux's record. You know, it was so, it was one of those things, you know, it's, it's a weird feeling being a visitor in your own ballpark. You know, that's a, that's a feeling I haven't had. Um, and it's just kind of one of those things that kind of happens. But uh, it's, it hadn't hit me yet. It hadn't hit me yet. But my favorite part is we're talking about Tony Robichaux and the, how good of a man he was, how much he cared about the people uh, more than the players. So that I'm glad we're talking about that. So like I said, McNeese will now host Southeastern this weekend with a spot in the regionals on the line. So that'll be impressive and intriguing to see. James, I, I came across an article that, that you and I need to discuss. A Vikings fan went on Twitter and said that Drew Brees was Kirk Cousins with a Super Bowl. What? Yeah. That's what I said. Drew Brees is Kirk Cousins with a Super Bowl. How does that make any sort of sense? Well. Uh, That sounds about Vikings fan. Well, somebody chimed in and... They, they decided to put some numbers into it. Okay? Yeah. Regarding stats, Cousins has started 120 games in his career. Total stats, 30,646 yards. No, I'm sorry. 32,953 yards, 223 touchdowns, 91 interceptions, a 5.5% touchdown ratio to a 2.2% interception ratio, with 7.7 yards per attempt. Okay? That's Kirk Cousins' career statistics. Here is Drew Brees up until the Super Bowl season. So from 2001 through 2009. 
122 games started, so already two more starts than Kirk Cousins has had in his career. 30,646 yards, 202 touchdowns, 110 interceptions, a 4.9 touchdown percentage, a 2.6% interception percentage, and 7.7 yards per attempt. So in eight years, Drew Brees threw 2,000 yards less than Kirk has thrown in his career. 21 less touchdowns than Kirk. 19 more interceptions. Had a lower touchdown percentage, a higher interception percentage, and the same amount of yards per attempt. But keep in mind, this was in eight years compared to Kirk Cousins, who has been in the league for for 10 years. 10 years. Do you still want to say that Kirk Cousins is, I mean, Drew Brees is Kirk Cousins with a Super Bowl? Do you still think that's true? (laughs) This guy says, that's a silly comment. Drew Brees set all kinds of passing records, won a Super Bowl, countless playoff games, and could have won at least one more if not for the miracle in Minnesota and the atrocious non-call in the Rams game. Brees is a gamer, a winner, and he's clutch. Cousins is none of those. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two on the other side. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles in Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of two. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, and you. It's 502. And so that means you're going home. So good for you on this Monday. By the way, congratulations to Thomas Snotty. Today's trivia question Winner for Downtown Rising. The correct answer was Pat Swilling and Leroy Glover, who each had 17 sacks to hold the Saints' single-season sack record. Again, congrats to Thomas for winning two tickets to Downtown Rising on June 4th, featuring the Cold War kits. Let's talk some NBA, and let's pump some energy into James Mesh's veins before he goes absolutely insane. Jarrett Reed of Propel's Talk will join us to discuss the NBA. Jarrett, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? Man, we're doing well. So let, let's make James Mesh feel better about his Celtics because he, he's on the he's on the struggle bus today. Uh, they they fell one hundred nine to one hundred three Saturday night to the Heat. Man, from from your vantage point, you know, walk us through this game. What went wrong? Ah, this is a bad loss for the Celtics. No, no offense. Sorry, sorry about that one. Uh, they needed to get this win. Uh, Jimmy Butler goes out. Uh, got Kyle Lowry making his first appearance in the series, and you had opportunities, and you fell in love with the three ball, which you've been making a lot of. You had a couple games where you made up a twenty plus, but there was no consistent um, way to get to the basket. And you fell in love with the three ball, and that kind of shot you out the game. There's a lot of turnovers. Oh, my God, the turnovers killed me, killed me. I mean, if the Celtics just take care of the ball and take good shots, they win. 
they can they can win in the series. But it's you know the youngness of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, even though they've been really good in the series. Uh, if they just take good shots and move the ball, I think they can win. But they just have to do that. And then also looking at the the game Saturday night, one of the biggest factors has to be only sixteen points from your bench. Yeah, that's going to uh, a, a, a lot of your starters, right? Uh, I mean, again, it's an away game, right? So that was an away game, and usually your bench kind of struggles in, in away games. So hopefully, going back to Boston for for game, right? Game five, I'm missing. Yeah, no, tonight's oh, game sorry. four. Uh, so yeah, they'll still be in Miami. Yeah, we're back in Miami, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, going back to Miami, you're, you're still in Miami. You you hope you can get that from your bench. You really don't rely on that on, on a, in the away games. Like you're starting, your starters need to play well. Jason Tatum, man, look, you got locked up. You know you need to do something. You have to you have to be more aggressive and, and not turn the ball over. I mean, he had one stretch where he had he had six turnovers in a quarter. I think that was even the previous game. So he needs to be better uh, facilitating and still picking his spots. So I, I expect a better game out of him. Um, but yeah, the Celtics—if they just take care of the ball, I think they can get this win. Yeah, this, that Saturday night was definitely one of the worst performances of Jason Tatum's career. I mean, ten points on three of fourteen shooting, only one of seven from three. He did have six rebounds and four assists, but he also had six turnovers. That, those are killers, and, and it's not usually like most people think. All right, turnovers. Yeah, of course, turnovers are bad. It's when they happen. Like he had turnovers in critical moments, or, or when they were trying to make a run, and he would just, you know, make an errant pass or or take a terrible shot. Some of those threes are like turnovers because if you take a bad three against a good team, they make you feel as if that was a turnover. Uh, you miss a you miss a bad three, and they hit a three. That's a six point swing that may feel like a twelve point swing or a nine point swing because of the shot that you took, and then you had to take a timeout. And so you're at a disadvantage when you do that. And I think he takes a lot of bad shots. This because he just takes those shots. And I think he needs to do better about his shot selection and, and facilitating abilities. So now looking at looking ahead, you know, going to Sunday's NBA matchup with the Warriors and the Mavs, you know, as much as I want to see the Mavs succeed here, they just can never get it going against the Warriors. I'm going to say this, and I, and I hope it isn't like hyperbole, but Luca has to be a better facilitator, and he shouldn't. He's a good passer. I'm not saying that like he has a ton of triple doubles. Like, I'm not saying that, but he his usage rate usage rate is so high that when he gives it up to Bronson or Kenny Smith or anybody or, or Dinwiddie to make a play, like all they have is one play. Like if they get stifled, then that's the offense because they got he gave them a, a grenade essentially. Like, hey, you got to do something quick with it. If not, the shot clock is going to go off. You know, he has to be able to be the secondary facilitator, not just the first one. And they're really good when they, you know, allow Bronson to initiate the offense as well as uh, Luca and be able to play off them. And you know, Kleber missed a lot of shots. Jesus Christ. I think he had an 0 for 9 game, and Finney had a, a 0 for 7 or something like that. I think they were 0 for 16 between the both of them. You know, when you get that kind of possession, you get those missed shots. And they still had a chance to win this game. They cut it to five late with a Dinwiddie three, and then they give up a three to Jordan Poole, and that was kind of the dagger. So, I mean, it's kind of hit or miss. They can win this game, game four. 
But, you know, they just have to make those shots now. Chat with Jarrett Reed of Propel's Talk here on Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. Yeah, you got 26 out of Dinwiddie. You got 20 out of Brunson, 40 out of Luka. But then your highest scorer after that was Dorian Finney-Smith with nine. Essentially, the same thing I said about the Miami series. You expect your role players to play better at home, and they just didn't. You know, you got the crowd behind you. If you, you know, if they hit just, let's say, 40% of their shots or 30% of their shots, you know, they might win this game. You know, you hit, out of those 16, you hit four of those, I think you're up. You know, of course, Golden State stretched that league out at the end, but no, nah, man, they had a, chance, a legit chance to win if they just their role players did average. You right. know, you know, you weren't even expecting their best because Luca gave you forty, Spencer gave you twenty six, Brunson gave you another twenty. Hey, you think you win that game if if you if I'm telling you that off off script and you didn't watch the game, you know. And then you know Reggie Bullock playing forty minutes and going zero for ten at home. Yeah, that was another wow. Yeah, Reggie, and I, and I think he had a shoulder injury and it was his non shooting shoulder, but still, you expect your role players to play better play better at home and. He just couldn't knock down any of those shots, and, and Reggie's a you know essentially a dead eye shooter, and and it may be fatigue. You know, they, Reggie's probably never played in a playoff this long, right? He hasn't got to this stage, so usually with those, that's your legs, right? A lot of his shots are short or off to the left. Um, probably got banged up a little, little nicks and stuff like that. It's a different feel, and Golden State's been here, and they show that. They show that if you take a bad shot against them. It's that avalanche is coming, even if it's at, even if it's in Dallas. Like that avalanche is coming, you have to be able to defend it off. Chat with Jerry Reed of Propel's Talk. All right, man. Tonight, Celtics Heat Game Four. The Heat. I mean, Boston trying to level the series at home. What do they have to do to get it done? So I don't. From from what I'm reading, I don't think Jimmy's playing tonight. Jimmy Butler. Uh, so they can, you know, winning that game three against all odds, they can afford to not play Jimmy. And then this is Kyle. Kyle's getting his feet wet in the series. I don't know. I, I guess it's a, a toss-up between this. If Jason Tatum doesn't come out aggressive and try to take over the matchup, uh, Victor Oladipo did a hell of a job versus him. Like, he played amazing defense, and I think that's something that they look to. You know, he wasn't really that great offensively, but defensively, I think he changed the complexion of the game. So if Jason Tatum doesn't go at him and try to get him in foul trouble, use his size, his length uh, over him. Um, also, I think we talked about this before, Al Horford versus Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo had 31? I told you that could be a, a, a series between those two. I think if Bam has another game like that, it's curtains. I, I think the Celtics are going home in six. I know James Mesh did not want to hear that. Sorry. Sorry about that. He's telling my truth. <laughs> Jared Reed joining <laughs> us here on Crunch Time. And on, on the other side, you know, the Warriors and the Mavs. Do, do you think the Warriors sweep them, get it done in four? Ooh, ooh. I, I usually don't like picking sweeps because, you know, I, I see some type of fight out of that team, and you still have Luka, and I think Luka's like a, one of those people that if you have him on your team, you got a chance to win. And I don't think Bullock or Kleber uh, shoot as terribly as they do again. But I feel like that dunk that Wiggins had over Luka, it's kind of like that nail in the coffin. It's like, we're not scared of you. You can do all the things you want, but you're not beating this team. 
And I think they're playing with so much confidence, and he's playing with so much confidence. Also, oh, yeah, you got Steph on the other team. Oh, yeah, you got Clay Thompson. Oh, yeah, you got Jordan Poole. It's, this seems like it's too much, too much to handle. I think it is a sweep. Yeah, I'm seeing the same. I've got a Warriors-Celtics final. I think the Celtics respond in the in this series and end up winning it in six or seven. And then, you know, we we talked about again. I I see the Warriors sweep in Dallas. Now, if that's the case, if it's Golden State Boston, I know we're looking a little ahead, but who do you see coming out of that series and winning the championship? You want to you want to go this far? I don't even have Boston getting out of here. You know, I'm sorry. I don't even have All right, so so Golden mind. Golden State and Miami. Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I like Miami's defense, but I don't think they have enough offensive power. You can see, even in the Boston series, that, that they struggle. They struggle against teams that switch, and the way that they – when Boston makes shots, it's over for Miami, right? But it's the consistency of it. Now, you're telling me I have Clay, Jordan – and Steph, also I have Draymond facilitating. And, oh, yeah, Andrew Wiggins is playing he's probably his best basketball of his career in great moments. I don't know, man. I don't like picking these guys. But I got to go with Golden State, man. I, I just think they have too much. Yeah, there's, there, there's especially now that Andrew Wiggins is firing on all cylinders, they just they have way too much going on for, for sure. for, to, be, to be slowed down. All right, Jerry, before before I let you run, you you brought it up on Twitter, so now I'm going to bring it up here. Give me your Judy San order. Ooh. What, no, what they saying last year? Two ball. Oh, yeah, let's see. What we got? Just give me, give me a double. I have to get a double because I haven't had a double in a minute. Give me cheese, sauce, uh, lettuce. I've asked for pickles before. They told me they didn't have them. So hopefully by now we've added pickles to the res- uh, the the menu, if not, that's fine. I'll take some crawl taters. You can't, I, I mean, I don't disagree with voodoo, but I can't put voodoo over crawl taters. You just can't do that. And slide me a, a milkshake, and then I'm going to tip my guy uh, at least five bucks just to get my order together. And oh, then yeah. I'm out. Oh, yeah. Double cheese, grilled onions, extra sauce, lettuce, tomato, the whole nine. Voodoo or crawl taters, I can go either way. And okay. definitely a milkshake. For sure, you can't go in there without a milkshake. You're just getting a, you're getting a cold drink. It's like, Man, what's the you, point? you see, J- Jared, Jared knows what's going on. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> Jared <laughs> Reed <laughs> of Propels Talk joining us. Jared, really appreciate you taking the time, my friend. And as NBA gets closer, we'll talk to you down the line. Thanks, guys. Thanks for appreciate you guys for having me. Before we head to a timeout. On Facebook, poll question of the day, what is your favorite part of the weekend? Was it JT winning the PGA, the Preakness, college baseball, softball, or other? Jamie Green coming in. His bolts are up 3-0 on Florida. Chance to sweep tonight. This whole mantra disgusts me because they're up 3-0 on the Florida Panthers who took my Washington Capitals out of the playoffs. You know, you know that thing when your team gets beat, you only want to get beat by the best. So the team that beats you, you want them to go on and win the championship. It's a true. It's I'm a true, the complete opposite. Really? Yeah. 
I don't know. I guess it's just because I'm salty, but it's like, like say for example, anytime the Saints have gotten out the playoffs by a team, say the Vikings or the Rams. I'm trying to remember in 2013 who took them out or like the Seahawks. It's like I'm rooting against you at that point. Hmm. Like I don't, I don't want to see you win at all. Because if you took me out, I hope we take you down with us. Hmm. Interesting. See, my thing is, is I just, if you're going to get beat, it's better to get beat by the best than, you know, like in my situation, beat my team and then they're going to get swept. I don't know. I just don't want to be a part. I don't want to be a part of the story where it's like, oh, this team crushed this team on their way to getting to, I I don't want to be that stepping stone. And also as much as I enjoy Mr. Jamie Green, I do not want to see his Tampa Bay Lightning win a third consecutive <laughs> Stanley Cup. Yikes. Not a big three-peat guy. It's not so much the three-peat, it's the fact that it's the Lightning. The lightning. Don't want that to happen. If you want to see the Houston Astros in person, then listen up. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Chicago White Sox on Saturday, June 18th, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, Lay Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. And when we return, Cajuns and Tigers softball will fill you in on what they did in the regional and so much more. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 23rd, 1981. Puerto Rican boxer Wilfred Benitez, at the age of 22, becomes the youngest three-division world champion in history by knocking out WBC World Super Welterweight Champion Maurice Hope in 12 rounds in Las Vegas. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising. It's the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. Score a pair of VIP passes plus a chance to meet the Cold War kids. All you got to do is register in the Game Rewards Club, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win VIP passes for Downtown Rising, featuring the Cold War kids on Saturday, June the 4th. The ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience is presented by Social Entertainment, Raider Solutions, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 23 minutes after 5 o'clock on your Monday. Let's talk about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns softball team battling it out in the Clemson Regional over the weekend. They put on a good showing in Clemson as the three seed. They... Their first game was Friday against Auburn, where they fell 4-3 to behind two home runs from the SEC Freshman of the Year, Bree Ellis, and a great pitching performance from Auburn's pitcher. 
Saturday, they rebounded with a 3-1 to win over UNC Wilmington in 11 innings. Taylor Roman called game with a walk-off two-run homer in the 11th. They came back 30 minutes later and played Auburn again. This time, getting the better of them 4-3 to behind home runs from Melissa Mayu, Jordan Campbell, and a two-run shot from Stormy Kotzelnik. So now they're back in championship Sunday for... Again, I mean, it's, it, Championship Sunday for this softball program has kind of become the norm. Uh, each of the last, I want to say, five years, they've made Championship Sunday. And they ran into the freight train that is number 10 Clemson. 8 nothing in five innings. It was one nothing early on. The Cajuns really kept themselves in it, and they just were waiting for that one mistake from Millie Thompson that they could capitalize on. That mistake never came. Clemson erupted for seven innings in the fifth, and the Cajuns just couldn't recover. Uh, so, you know, that's softball. That That's how it goes sometimes. 47-13 and 13 to finish the year, 23-4 and four in the Sun Belt. Sun Belt champs, regional runner-ups. James, hell of a season from Cajun softball, if you ask me. It really was. I mean... Trying to think of trying to do math off top, forty-seven out of sixty. It's what? That's eighty-seven percent. Almost eighty percent. That's that's pretty good. It's one game. They were under, on a hot start. One game under eighty percent. They had a hot start to start the season. Yep. Had a little bit of a dip, but I mean they were consistent all season, and they still have kept their record intact of the the, the streak, which is were, what seventy-eight now. Seventy-eight. Um, they were so young, man. I mean, that's I, that's what's even more impressive is. What, eighty percent, seventy-five, eighty percent of the roster is it's up there. His freshmen? Yeah, I mean, the, their batting order yesterday against Clemson, there was five freshmen. Five of their nine in the batting order were freshmen. Two of them were sophomores. There was a junior and a senior. I mean, so seven of your nine were underclassmen. Will be back next year. That's insanely impressive. So Jerry Glasgow and Justin Robichaux and, and their staff, they've got a lot to build on going into to 2023. Um, the, this team looks, like I said it on social media yesterday, this team looks primed to have one of those runs. They're going to have a special run next year. And I'm excited to see it. On the other side, LSU going to Tempe, Arizona, didn't quite have the showing that they were looking for. To be honest, didn't have the postseason they were looking for. They went 0-3 in the postseason. They lost their first game in the SEC tournament to Mississippi State 7-4. And then in the regional, they were the two-seed battling first against San Diego State, falling 10-5. And then Saturday, they played Cal State Fullerton. You erupted for two runs right there in the first, in, in the top of the first, but then you gave up some errors. You gave up some mistakes. You let Cal State Fullerton score three and take a 3-2 lead on you, and then nobody scores again the rest of the game. Both teams combined for five runs in the first inning. Had a, Fullerton had a 3-2 lead, and then for the next six innings, nobody scored. It became a defensive battle, and 
the Tigers had a couple opportunities. I remember one point they had runners on second and third with one out, couldn't get them home. Things like that, this point in the season, you got to find a way to scratch across a run. You just have to. Uh, and, and they didn't do that. And so they they ended up falling 3-2, to two, fell out of the regional 0-2. And, and so now you look at the Super Regionals, there's no Louisiana team left in it. I can't remember the last time that happened. It's uh, It's been a while because, you know, between LSU and UL and McNeese, there's always been, you know, some kind of representation. Oklahoma will play UCF. Arizona State will play Northwestern. UCLA will play Duke. Arkansas will play Texas. Virginia Tech will play Florida. Stanford will play Oregon State. Oklahoma State will play Clemson. And Mississippi State will play Arizona. See, that's what I find interesting. Going back to a conversation about the Cajuns, they... They didn't want to go to Tuscaloosa for obvious reasons. They've struggled with, against Alabama all season. And so you didn't want to end up in the Tuscaloosa Regional, but yet Alabama didn't come out of the Tuscaloosa Regional? That's kind of intriguing. Alabama was supposed to be this stalwart that nobody could get through, but yet they didn't win their own regional that they hosted. If you ask me... Oklahoma's about to run a freight train through the rest of the field. Just like Tennessee's going to do in college baseball. Tennessee, wow. It's, the next couple weeks are going to be fun. Let's just say that. Between baseball, getting into conference tournaments, and then into the regionals next weekend, it's going to be entertaining to, uh, to say the least. Let's take a time out right here. And when we return, PGA Championship, horse racing, the NHL, anything you want to talk about, phone lines open for the rest of the show, 706-0111. You're listening to Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. James, let's update the Twitter poll question of the day, which is, what was your favorite part of the weekend? Was it Justin Thomas winning the PGA? Was it college baseball, softball? Was it the Preakness? Or was it something else? So far, 50% of you said college baseball. 16% said Justin Thomas winning the PGA. And I've got 33% saying other comment, but yet there's no comments. So, interesting there. The PGA Championship was quite interesting. Justin Thomas started the day two under, 
which was seven back of the leader. He goes three under on the day and has some help from the top five. Everybody, I was told a statistic, anybody in the top five just had to go even par yesterday to win the PGA Tour, to win the PGA Championship. None of them did. Justin Thomas and Will Zalatoris ended up going to a three-hole playoff where Justin Thomas took a risky, risky drive on the second hole, worked out for him, ended up hitting the green in one to where he was able to two-putt for a birdie while Zalatoris was only able to scratch across a par, and, and that ultimately sealed the deal for Justin Thomas to win his second major and his second PGA Championship. It was the first one that he had won in five years. And after the tournament, Justin Thomas was asked, why did you show so much emotion winning your second PGA Championship? To win, like it is. And it's I, I legitimately think it's harder to win now than it was when I first came out on tour, just for the, the sake of the depth of the tour. I mean... I clearly haven't won the amount of times that a lot of guys, not a lot, a handful of guys have this year, but I feel like I've played just as well as, as anybody on tour this year. I just don't have, I haven't had the trophies to show and I'd fallen in the world ranking. And I mean, that just kind of shows how strong the game of golf is. And I think it's easy to, to start letting some doubt creep in and just kind of like, all right, you know, what's going to happen? When's it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And I mean, the first one with bones, you know, officially on my bag. First one is an engaged man. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that factored into it, but just I told Julius earlier is that just I I don't remember the specifics from 2017 as much as I would have liked. Other, I just remembered them chanting JT, but I didn't remember the the specifics and. I just was walking up 18 and I knew in the playoff and I knew it wasn't over, but I just, I looked up and I wanted to take it in because it just, you don't know when and if it's going to happen again. And it just, it's such an unbelievable, cool feeling that you just want to enjoy it. Southern Hills Country Club is regarded as one of the toughest courses on tour. And it definitely proved that way this weekend. I mean, you saw the way that Mito Pereira just, you know, collapsed yesterday especially on 18. I mean, he had a two-stroke lead or one-stroke lead, and he double bogeys 18. All you had to do was get a par. You double bogeyed. Even if you bogeyed, you set up a three-way playoff, and, I mean, again, just an absolute collapse. And after the win, Justin Thomas was asked about the difficulty of this course. I would say the golf course and and the wind, probably, you know, 80%. And I would say the difficulty of winning a golf tournament in a major, 20%, if I had to put a number on it. Um, I mean, it, it was tough. Again, the north wind just made it a little bit more difficult. And, and it was kind of switching a little bit to east. or It was northeast, but it kind of was getting a little bit more easterly. So having to try to factor that in and... Um, it just it's it's simple thing like a little hole like drivable on 17 if you obviously you hit a great tee shot you hit it where you want to go then you know you're looking at birdie but if you maybe double cross it over in the the back left rough or if you kind of heel one and it kicks down in the hat like there's so quickly out here can a birdie hole turn into a 
salvaging for bogey. And um, I think that's just why that's one of the reasons I love this place when I first came here. I think it's a great major championship venue. Justin Thomas was also asked, you know, again, he mentioned earlier, it's been five years since he won his first Wanamaker trophy. What was the difference in 2022 compared to 2017? You know, in what ways is JT a better golfer now than the first time? I mean, I've, I've matured a lot. I mean, five years is a long time, especially at this stage of my life. I mean, I would like to think and hope that everything has just gotten a little better. I mean, there's nothing that's like standing out of a massive difference. I would say the biggest difference is I, I probably just weigh about 15 pounds more. I don't know. I put, I put on some weight, but I mean, that's just, that's the big part of it is you just want to get 1% better. I, I don't need to revamp everything. I don't need to hit it 30 yards farther. I don't need to, to change you know, equipment, change ball, change I mean, it's just everything that I've have and been doing has been working. It's just trying to just get it a little bit better. And I just feel like that's what I've done in, in, in every facet. So there's nothing that stands out like this is monumentally better, but um, it's all it's all improved. Let's go to horse racing now. Early voting winning the preakness on Saturday. You know, Epicenter was the Kentucky Derby favorite, finished second. Epicenter was, again, the Preakness favorite, finished second. James, do you think the Belmont Stakes is going to be the race where Epicenter finally breaks through and gets a win? You would think so. I mean, he's gotten second both times. I mean, he he's just hanging around with... You know, like like you just said, finishing second. I mean, how there's gonna come a point where he's gonna bust through that glass ceiling and win a race. Or do we have to make sure both winning horses don't race? Well, <laughs> that's true. That's uh it, it it's it's crazy, man. Horse it's so hard to and, and it's one of the most popular things to bet on. But you just never know. I mean, look at Rich Strike. We keep bringing up the Kentucky Derby, but I mean, 80 to 1 odds entered the race with 30 seconds to go and won. Like, you would have never seen that happen. And then you you saw who finished third on, on Saturday, didn't you? Yeah. That that creative minister. Yeah, I told you that, that minister is creative. He's, he is creative. Uh, I don't know how he does it. It's it's impressive. Skippy Longstocking, middle of the pack though. Hey, you you know, middle of the pack at the Preakness doesn't sound too bad. No, I mean, I mean, if, fifth if out of were, nine. I mean, it's not the it's not the best, but it's not the worst. I mean, yeah, but if you were good enough to was, race in the Preakness, you're pretty good. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, you look at I mean he he was seventh in odds, and he got fifth. So I mean, he did better than what most people thought. Yeah, no no doubt, no doubt. Um, going back to PGA ever so slightly, so Justin Thomas is a Alabama Crimson Tide graduate. And after the PGA Championship yesterday, he was asked if he follows Nick Saban's 24-hour celebration rule, 
And Justin Thomas said, yeah, I got a 24-hour rule. I'm not sure what Jimbo Fisher's rule is, but I guess he's got to win something first before he figures out his rules. Ooh, sick burn. Sick burn, bro. Yeah, so I, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, it just goes to show you that even you know your big-time athletes pay attention to the little petty drama like Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher are going through. You know, when do you, I, I don't know how I want to put this. Okay. When do you think, like, do you think that conversation between Jimbo and Nick Saban is done? Probably not. Like, you, you think you think it's going to get brought back up again at, like, media days or something like that in a couple oh, weeks? Oh, of course. Oh, 100%. man. 100%. Oh, man. That's going to get brought up because you haven't seen them face-to-face yet. So they're going to be in the same room. They're going to be in the same building. It's true. So we got to see how they finally interact because it's like people It's like people online, like Instagram and Twitter. It's like you could talk all the crap you want, but it's like what you're going to do when we're face-to-face. Right. What you going to do when we're in the same room together? That's true. That's true. NHL playoffs tonight, Florida and Tampa. 3-0 in favor of the Lightning. Can they finish it off tonight? 6 o'clock on TNT. And then at 8.30, Colorado, St. Louis. That series has been fun. The Avs, the Blues. Can the Avs get back to their late 90s glory? This is as close as they've been in a while. Can can they get over that threshold and and get back to get back to greatness? Houston Astros over the weekend going 3-1 against the Texas Rangers. 5-1 Thursday. They fell 3-0 Friday night. 2-1 on Saturday and then 5-2 yesterday. Like we mentioned earlier, they will return to Minute Maid Park tonight to host the Cleveland Guardians at 7-10. Will be your first pitch. For the Astros, it will be Luis Garcia, 3-2 on the year with a 3.35 ERA, 37 and two-thirds innings pitched, 28 hits allowed, 41 strikeouts. He's walked 12 and has given up six home runs. For the other side, it'll be Tristan McKenzie, who is 2-3 on the year with a 2.97 ERA, 36 and, and one-third innings, 24 hits, 34 Ks, 11 walks, and three home runs. The Astros 27 and 15 on the year, 12 and 5 at home. They do lead the AL West. The Guardians 17 and 20. They're 9 and 12 away from Progressive Field, and they are third in the AL Central. Let's go to the game hotline now. 706-0111. Reynold joins the show. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Uh, have y'all talked about the golf tournament yesterday? The players. The, the PGA Championship? Uh, excuse me, what? The PGA Championship? Yeah, yeah. P- I'm sorry, the PGA Championship. Yeah, we... we... Um, you know, that, that guy Pereira, I, I don't understand what he did. I'm a golf player. I play golf. And all he had to do was that... I think we lost him. But I saw when he swung, I'm like, what the hell is this dude doing? I mean, he just really overcorrected. And that thing went, he made a, played a massive fade. And then um, 
the guy who was playing with him, Fitzpatrick, he hit it right down. The, all he had to do was hit it down the middle instead of be aggressive, and he would have won the tournament. And if this is going to be your first major, I just don't understand how you could be leading the whole entire game, and then you get to the last hole and you totally blow it because I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah. I get your take on it. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with you. Appreciate the call. You know, it, it's interesting because you, you bring that up. I, I think the biggest aspect of this was the fact that it was his first major. I think the pressure got to him. I think the atmosphere of Southern Hills, the atmosphere of what he was playing for, kind of got to him. And... You know, the, the good week that he had might have gotten in his head a little bit and said, you know what, I can be aggressive here and and do everything I need to do to win the tournament. And with the weather conditions that they had yesterday, the wind was killer yesterday afternoon. Maybe the shot didn't go quite the way he envisioned it. I mean, clearly it didn't because he ended up double bogeying and didn't win the tournament. But... You know, there's there's a lot of details that go into that that, you know, you're never really going to quite know. And, you know, it was obviously a learning experience for him. I'm sure he will bounce back and probably win a major in the not-so-distant future because clearly he's one hell of a golfer. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I think he'll be fine. If anything, I think this is more of going to be a a big learning experience for Mito Pereira. Today is the day you join the game clubhouse. Not only is it free, but you get the chance to enter to win tremendous gifts. Try a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. Only score those $50 gift certificates to Half Shell Oyster House or $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's by becoming a member of the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. We'll take one last time out. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh. We'll wrap up today's show on the other side. Get you set up for tomorrow. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. Welcome back. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Let's go straight to the hotline. Martin's joining us. Martin, what's going on? Oh, nothing much. I know y'all about to wrap it up, but uh, I want to respond to that last caller's uh, he was wondering why uh, Pereira or whatever the guy's name was choose that that particular club uh, to hit that shot. Well, I think I heard one of the announcers explaining that uh, the day before that on the Saturday he had appro- did the, the same shot and used the same club and the weather conditions were a lot worse. So I guess he kind of figured that since you know the, it was a little better, he would better to, to play the same shot and it didn't work out you know quite the same like it did the day before. But that's all I wanted to say, man. Yeah, I appreciate that, Martin. Yeah, you okay, know, it it's one of those things where you know a PGA golfer and, and a PGA caddy, they know what they're doing. 
They study those courses inside out, up and down. They know the decisions that they're making. They know the chances of it working out and the chances of it not working out. He clearly liked the odds that he had enough to take the chance, take the shot. It didn't work. That happens. That's golf. That's like in football when you run a when you call a run play on fourth and one and, and you get stuffed at the line of scrimmage. It happens. But I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, if you got a good running back in the backfield, you're running the ball on fourth and one. You'll take that one time getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage every time. That's just it's just what it is. Tomorrow on Crunch Time Amigas and Mesh, we're gonna have Chris Murphy from the PGA Tour join us to recap the PGA Championship and discuss the Charles Schwab Challenge this weekend. And to the Moon Tuesdays with Apollo HOU. We'll talk about the Astros' success over the last week and preview the week ahead. I want to thank Wilson Alexander of The Advocate for joining us today for Tiger Talk, as well as Jarrett Reed of Propel's Talk for joining us for NBA Conversation. For the producer extraordinaire, James Mesh, I am Matt Miguez saying be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.